last week we wrapped up chapter 14 where Jesus says that the ruler of the world is coming and he says he has no claim on me. Right? And we looked at that last week that he is sharing some final words with his disciples the night before he's about to be killed, arrested, betrayed by Judas, and arrested into the hands of the Jews. And of course, he goes to the cross shortly thereafter. He says, the ruler of the world is coming, but he has no claim on me. He has no authority, no power, nothing on me. And in fact, this is a big part of my message last week, that everything is still going according to plan. That Jesus is doing what the Father has commanded him to. And so what is about to happen, what is about to unfold, and he doesn't say all of this, right? The arrest, the flogging, the cross. He says, don't fret. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in the Father. Believe also in me. I'm telling you all of this ahead of time so that you will know that it's all still going according to plan. That as all of this shakes down, you will have peace. Not only am I going to give you a peace by telling you stuff before it happens, I'm going to give you a supernatural peace found in the person and presence of the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit of God himself, who's not just going to walk with you, but he's going to dwell within you. You see in Acts, when the Holy Spirit fills the disciples who were waiting in the upper room, not only were they filled with peace, but you saw uh, that, that, that everything would be okay, that everything would happen just uh, the way that Jesus promised that it would, but they were filled with power. They weren't weak and scared. They were bold and powerfully proclaiming the good news of Jesus. This is the promise of Christ for his church. Jesus gives the peace of God in the promised indwelt presence of the power of God himself the person of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful thing. Nate, Nate shared on it, touched on it this morning again. That God himself, like he gives us his peace, but it's not just a feeling that he gives us. He gives us himself that we would be filled. And you see, like what I love in the book of Acts is you see the church of Jesus born. And these disciples that should be shaken because their leader has gone. Their leader has, has ascended to heaven and all of a sudden the power of God comes over them and they are bold. They're not scared. They're bold to share. Have you ever been scared to share the gospel? You ever been scared? Like nervous? Like me. Like I hate saying this as your pastor, but this pulpit gives me a lot of protection. This is like my security blanket, and I can say all sorts of crazy, not crazy stuff, like bold things from this pulpit because this is like, I can say it up here because I'm Pastor Kevin, but like when I'm in the coffee shop or when I'm with my neighbors, dude, I'm the same as you are. Like all of a sudden it's like anxiety, fear, like what are they going to think? Ah, in those moments we call on the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit that was poured out on the church, and they were bold. They weren't afraid. They weren't weak. They shared the gospel of Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, side note, last week, uh, I meant to touch on this a little bit more, but the ruler of the world is coming into the world, right? Verse 30, he has no claim on Jesus, he says. And I pointed out that he's not of this world, right? The ruler of the world has no claim on someone who's not of the world. But do you realize 
that the enemy of our souls, that Satan himself, has no claim on the followers of Jesus. He has no claim on you if you are in Christ Jesus because Christ already claimed you. Right? When you read through the scriptures, whether it's um, 2 Peter, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 2, right? Where we've, uh, he's called us out of darkness and into his glorious light, right? To proclaim his excellence, to proclaim the excellencies of him, right? He's called us out of this world. He's called uh, John chapter 17, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks here. Jesus has got that high priestly prayer. He's praying for his disciples that were with him then, but also for us, the church that would come. And he says, I've called them out of the world. They're still there. They're still there. And I, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world, but that you would fill, like that you would be with them. So we're not of this world. And so the enemy of this world, the ruler of this world, has no claim on us either. We have victory because of Jesus. And so today we're going to continue to read John chapter 15. Let's start in verse 1 and then we'll pray and then we'll dig into this. I hope you guys like sermons because there's a lot of it today. I'm looking at my notes here and I've got more notes than I've ever had before and I'm a little bit scared, but we're going to get through it. It's going to be awesome. Okay, so let's read. I am the true vine, he says, verse 1. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... It is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, this is big. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so, this is huge, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and, this is huge, that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Jesus Again, claim our hearts, capture our hearts, open our eyes to the beauty of you and the beauty and joy that is found in following you, in abiding in you, in resting in you, in handing this life, every bit of it, over to you. And so, Jesus, have your way in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have this beautiful metaphor, and I think you guys are familiar with this, right? It's a beautiful uh, metaphor of a, a farm or a vineyard. You've got a vine dresser. You've got a vine. You've got some branches, and you have some fruit. He says, I am the true vine. And actually, this is the last of the seven I am statements in the book of John. Some of them we've highlighted, and we've made a bigger deal of uh, than others, uh, but they're all a big deal because they are all I am statements. And you realize that it's not just metaphor here, but in him saying, I am, he's making a huge 
God statement. I am is a big deal in Hebrew culture. It is the name of God that God gives back in Exodus chapter 3 as he is calling Moses from the burning bush to lead his people out of Egypt in verse 13. Moses is all nervous, right? He's like, I don't know if I'm the right guy for the job. You ever felt that way? Like God is calling you to something? You're like, me? Really? Like I stumble, like I stumble with my words. I'm not very good at speed. Like me? <clears throat> Moses says to God, if I say the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask, what is his name? What should I tell him? What should I tell him? God replies, I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. Right? So when Jesus is making these I am statements, I am the bread of life, John 6. I am the light of the world, John 8. I am the door of the sheep, John 10. I am the good shepherd, John 10. I am the resurrection of the light and the life, John 11. I am the way, the truth, and the life, last week, John 14. And this week, I am the true vine. He's the eternal God making a God declaration that I am the Christ, the eternal word that was with God, who is God. He was there in the beginning. He is the great I am. So these statements are not just good metaphors and word pictures for us, but these are God statements describing the, uh, for us, describing for us finite, feeble beings, the majesty and forever nature, the eternal nature of our God. And in this picture today, right, like I said, we have a vineyard, we've got a, a vine dresser, a vine, some branches. We have a vine dresser. The Father is the vine dresser. He tends to and cares for the vine, its branches, and their ability to produce fruits. Let's read chat, uh, verse 2 again. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the Father, the vine dresser, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he, the Father, the vine dresser, prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so this picture here, there's some cutting going on. Cutting is not usually pleasant, is it? Sounds painful, sounds tough sometimes, sounds like it might be a little bit scary. First portion of that says that he cuts off, that he takes away, that he cuts away. And these are fruitless people. These are fruitless branches. Those who do not bear fruit. There's no signs of life. There's no signs of replication, right? Fruit is uh, not just a symbol of goodness and plenty, but it's a sign of health and life. But it's also the seed, right? You know anything about gardening? You, I know there's some real serious gardeners in here, way more serious than I ever have been. And in the fruit of the vine, in the fruit of the branches, is the seed, right? And the seed is what? Replication. Reproduction. And so, without fruit, it's not just a symbol of goodness and plenty, but it is. Without this outworking, there's no evidence of life, and the vine dresser takes it away. The Greek word here is arrow. And you see it later in this text as well, that they are taken away. They are cut out, taken away to their destruction to be burned up, it says. <clears throat> the vine dresser also has another job. He has another task at hand. It also involves some cutting, but it says that he prunes, right? And when you prune something, you trim it to cultivate it. It's still cutting, but for a much different 
uh, purpose, excuse me. The word for prune actually has the same root as it does for take away, for cut away. The, uh, that Greek word that I shared with you that means cut away just a few minutes ago there, it was arrow. Well, the word here used is kathero. And it carries with the idea of taking away, but taking away impurities. Taking away uh, taking away that which is unproductive, taking away impurities or, or something that is uh, off. So what we have here is this uh, purification, this cleansing. This Greek word here uh, means to, uh, without stain or spot, to cleanse from filth. Verse 3 reminds us that already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And so the good vine dresser cares for the branches by pruning, by cutting away that which is filthy, that which is impure, that which is not perfect. So you are clean because of the word of God. It makes me think of Genesis chapter 5, right? Christ, uh, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 25 says, uh, let's read it there. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the words so that he might present, to the, uh, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Pruning is painful sometimes. Discipline is unpleasant, but a good father, happy Father's Day, a good father disciplines his children this way. Good heavenly father prunes us disciplines us, takes out that which is unpure, unhealthy, so that we might bear more fruit. He is a good vine dresser, a good father. Luke 8, 18, I came across this week. It says, take care how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And, for, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away, right? You see this in our text today, that those branches that bear fruit, he prunes so that they'll bear even more fruit. Those that bear no fruit, he cuts away. They get burned up in destruction. Now, there's a little phrase in this text today, <clears throat> a little phrase that has caused some pretty big issues and misunderstandings over the years. Pretty big uh, issues and misunderstandings about salvation and perseverance of those who are called by Christ. Let's look again at verses 1 and 2. It says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Did you catch it? Did you catch the little phrase, little prepositional phrase? In me, in verse 2. And it's caused issues <clears throat> because, wait, you're saying that they are in Christ. Are you saying that they are in Christ Jesus? And these branches, if they're in Christ Jesus, can he, will he cast them out, take them away? If they're truly in Christ Jesus, will they, could they be taken away and destroyed? What are we saying here? Can someone who is born again, like we read in John chapter 3, be born of the Spirit, supposedly, uh, be saved from sin and death, yet will God destroy them? 
So for my understanding, I, I just, full disclosure, I got a lot of my understanding from John Piper on this, okay? Can someone be a, a, a sheep of God, a sheep of the good shepherd, someone who's heard him call them by name, who's responded to that call by faith, placing their faith, their hope, their trust in the life of Christ, can they still be lost and destroyed? And overwhelmingly, through the rest of the Gospel of John and Jesus' teachings, you see the answer would be no. Absolutely not. Not a true, regenerated disciple of Christ. Jesus, through the Gospel of John, teaches the opposite. That they will not be lost. Remember John uh, chapter 6, verse 35, when Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Let's read it here. Verse 35 says, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you, that you have seen me and yet do not believe, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I love this, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, and this is the will of uh, him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me. That we will not be lost, but will raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. In a few weeks, we're going to look at Jesus' prayer for His disciples, like I mentioned earlier, His high priestly prayer. Those who are truly in Him, and even us now in this age, if we are truly in Him, listen to this prayer. Verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Okay, these are those that the Father has given to the Son out from the world. That's you and me if you are in Christ Jesus. Yours they were, it says, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. We're going to talk a lot about keeping the word here today. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them. And they have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Verse 11 says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you get, have given me that they may be one even as we are one. We're going to talk about that a lot in the next couple of weeks. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that's Judas, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. We are guarded in Christ Jesus. I, I come across believers all the time, and they are like, they're not experiencing the joy that it is to be in Christ because they're so scared of their own hand in their life. Like, we're going to talk a lot about obedience here in a few minutes. Like, there is something about a disciple that we must obey. We must. But please understand that your incessant or perfect law-keeping does not secure you to Christ. Christ has secured you to himself. Okay? He guards you 
in himself. He guards you in his name. All that the Father has given to them, none of them will be lost. And so trust in him. Abide in him. Rest in him. And find joy in him. We've been given to Christ from out of the world by the Father, the vine dresser. And Jesus, the good shepherd, will guard us and keep us. That should fill us with joy. That you're going to make it. You're going to make it. You ever have those days where you just know you... uh, I can't say that word in church. You just, you, you, okay, I'll say it. You suck. You ever have those days? I have those days. Not in like a woe is me kind of, but I just know the fullness of my sinful nature and the way it rears its ugly head in my life sometimes. And I just go, praise be to God, it's all his work. Praise be to God, I am in Christ Jesus, and he is faithful to complete the work that he has started in my life. I turn I repent, I confess those sins, and I allow the full work of Jesus and his Holy Spirit to happen in my life. I am secure, not because of me, because of he, because of Jesus. He will finish the work and see us through. We're going to sing that in a little bit later, too, today. It's awesome. reminded of an old song. It's funny how when I'm going through scriptures, I'll be reminded of an old song that I sang growing up. But I know whom I have believed in and am persuaded that he is able to keep, keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Anybody know that song? You remember that song? Okay. Start clapping and stomping here in a minute. True followers of Christ, true disciples, we are going to make it. He will see us through. So John has taught us <clears throat> over the last well, we've seen it over the last few chapters, actually. That there are those, these, these branches that do not bear fruit. What are these? What are these fake followers? There are not true disciples of Christ. People who are following, but are not following Christ because he is the Christ. Oftentimes, and we see it all through American culture, all through American church, that there are those who are following Christ because of what Christ may do for them. Sounds kind of weird because Christ does a lot for us, right? When we are in Christ Jesus, he, all the riches of glory that we experience because of him, it's pretty awesome. But remember a few weeks ago, in John chapter 6, right, that passage on I am the bread of life, you see uh, Jesus uh, takes a little boy's lunch, takes five loaves, two fish, he feeds 5,000 with it, you guys remember this, right? It's a miracle. He multiplies it, and then he withdraws from the crowd. And later that night, he walks on water. He joins his disciples, and they head for the other side of the sea. The crowd that was with him, when uh, the crowd that he fed, the 5,000, they realize that Jesus is no longer there, and that the free lunch that they had, well, he's not around anymore. So they go looking for Jesus, and they catch up to him on the other side. And Jesus says in verse 26, he says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Because they, their bellies were full. Jesus was treated as the thing that gets them their thing. Jesus was a means to an end. 
They didn't see Jesus, the true Jesus. They didn't believe truly in Jesus as the bread of life, the bread from heaven, the one that all the Old Testament is about. But they followed him for free lunch. They were fake followers. There were fake followers among them. Someone who follows Jesus but is not really abiding in Jesus. Someone who maybe even be excited about Jesus, but it's not because he's the greatest thing or the only thing, but it's because he's the thing that gives me my things. He's the means to my ends. He's the key to my best life right now. I mentioned it before. This is a subtle form of the prosperity gospel, right, which is really no gospel at all. Now, when we talk about the prosperity gospel in church a lot of times, we like to rail on it, we like to pound on it, we like to hammer on it for good reason, honestly. But a lot of times we think of opulence, right? We think of fancy suits and preachers with fancy cars and private jets and big houses and all of this stuff, right? And we look at that and we go, when Jesus is all about health and wealth, but there's a, a subtle, sneaky version of it that is more destructive, in my opinion, more devastating, in my opinion, because what we end up doing is following Christ for the things that he gives me. And some of those things seem really good. And I, I used to see it all the time in youth ministry. Back when I was doing youth ministry, parents who, who loved their kids, they wanted them to do well. And what they really wanted was them to not fall into the wrong crowd, they really wanted was to them to not get mixed up in, in the wrong crowd and, you know, drugs or partying and all that stuff. And so what they would do is they would bring them to church to get them some Jesus. To keep them on the straight and narrow. The problem is that Jesus wasn't the destination. A good, healthy, rounded teenager was the destination. Jesus wasn't the destination. And they were just using Jesus as a vehicle to their destination. It wasn't about teaching their kids to treasure Christ as the surpassing worth, but they were using Christ to fill their bellies of their own morality. It's dangerous because it's sneaky and subtle. Like I said, the American church is full of this garbage. And I know based on sheer statistics that there are people probably in this room today who have fallen for this scheme this lie, and who are not truly abiding in Christ, but are merely playing church, playing morality. They're fake followers in danger of the fire of God. I don't mean to be overly harsh. That's not usually like me. I heard a pastor say once that soft words produce hard people, and hard words produce soft people. Like, it's always my goal in a sermon <clears throat> to encourage you guys a bit. Hopefully have you behold Christ. Like, not encourage you like you guys are awesome, but to encourage you guys like Christ is awesome. Like, whenever I read encouragement through scriptures, it's like, encourage each other in the Lord. Not like, hey, you're really good at handing out bulletins or whatever. Like, making bagels or serving coffee. But that's awesome because some of you are really good at that. But encourage each other in the Lord. Like, here's Christ. See how awesome he is. Be encouraged because he saved you. He called you. He redeemed you. He's called you his own. And you'll never be lost because you're secure in him. Like, that's encouraging each other in the Lord. But sometimes, man, I, I, I also 
in preaching don't want us to just be encouraged. I want us to squirm a little bit when we read the Word of God. When I go, there is a lot at stake here. And sometimes we need to hear that word and we need to squirm a little bit and go, okay, does my life truly line up with these words? Because something needs to move. And I, like we talked about last week, the word of God does not move. So this life needs to move. So what's the key? What's the key of making sure? How do we really know we are truly his disciples? And in our text today, you see it's those who abide in Christ and his word and that bear fruit. Let's read our text again, John chapter 15, verse 4. It says, Abide in me, and I in you. As, a, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear, uh, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove, prove that you are my disciples. That you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I am the true vine, he says. I want you to understand something. Like, I didn't realize this until this week. Like, this has always been like this beautiful picture of life and vitality, right? If you want to bear fruit, if you want to have life, of course, you need to be in the vine and and, in that sap, right? That sap, that lifeblood, that lifeline of the fruit, right? Coming through the vine into the branches to bear fruit. And it's this beautiful picture of life and vitality. But in Jewish culture, it was much deeper than that. I didn't realize that until I came across D.A. Carson's commentary on this. Right? Vine imagery and metaphor was very common, actually, back in this time. You can find it in all sorts of ancient writings, even from Gnosticism, uh, Palestinian Judaism, uh, many more. A lot of these ancient societies, they used uh, imagery like this to convey life and vitality. But the use here is much deeper. I'm going to read an excerpt from D.A. Carson's commentary. It says, two factors decisively decide the issue in favor of an Old Testament background. So he's pointing at this, uh, this metaphor. I'm the vine, you are the branches. It's deeper. It goes back to the Old Testament imagery. Frequency of John's appeal to the Old Testament, both in allusion and in quotations. The dominance in the fourth gospel of replacement motive, okay? So in the Old Testament, the vine is a common symbol for Israel. There's lots of scripture verses that are referenced here. The covenant of God, the covenant of people of God. Most remarkable is the fact that whenever historic Israel is referred to under this figure, it is the vine's failure to produce good fruit that is emphasized along with the corresponding threat of God's judgment on the nation. Now, in contrast to such failure, listen to what Jesus does here. Jesus claims, I am the true vine. The fact that he puts true in there is beautiful. The one who Israel pointed to, 
the one that brings forth good fruit, Jesus has already in principle superseded the temple, the Jewish feasts, Moses, various holy sites. Here he supersedes Israel as the very locus of, uh, of God's people. Okay, so Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. Abide in me and you will bear fruit. The Greek word for abide means to remain, to stay, to dwell, to live. I think we've talked about this before. Have you made your home in Christ Jesus? Have you allowed him to then abide in you, to set up residency and be at home in you? You ever have company over when your house is a mess? Like, we have, we have people in our house uh, for different events and community groups and stuff that we host, and, like, it's a lot of work to get the house ready. And I, for the most part, our house usually looks pretty good when it's time to have people over. But I'll tell you, the whole family, uh, my wife, of course, does an amazing job, but, like, everybody pitches in. Everybody has to because we have four kids, and it always looks like a tornado went through our house. Always. But do you ever, like, like not want to invite people over? Like, I'm this way. I don't want to invite you over when it looks like a tornado went through my house. Like, and so it's like, ah, yeah, you know what? Oh, can't it? Like, and then we've had people, like, drop by, which is fine. If you guys do, feel free. I'm getting over this. Like, this is just a pride thing between me and Jesus, and I'm confessing and repenting right now. Like, if you want to pop by, pop by. It's fine. I might have to check with my wife first, but it's fine. But our house is probably going to be a mess, just so you know, right? And there's, like, that anxiety. It's like, ah, and, like, kicking, like, the kids' clothes, like, down the hall so that you don't have to see it as you walk into my... A lot of times, it's that way with us in our lives with God. The house is a mess. We don't want to let him in. We got to get it all figured out and cleaned up before we invite him in. doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. He takes his word, he comes on in, takes his word, and washes you clean with his word. All the filth, all the clutter, all the mess that you try to hide from God... He already knows it. He already sees it, and he has the remedy. It's himself. It's his word. So why do we play? Like, it's so funny. Like, you ever try to, like, hide things from God? Like, he's God. He sees it. You try not to talk about it. It's like those, like, areas where he's like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that. He's like, come on. I already see it. I already know it. I know, the, I know the weird motives in your heart and all the evil stuff and all the good stuff. I know it all. I know it all. And I love you completely. I want to come in. Give me rule. Give me reign. Give me full residency. Abide in me and let me and my word abide in you. And you'll bear fruit. Actual fruit. Real fruit. Not some fake church face fruit. Like, you know how you do that? I'm afraid to like, you know, like we'll come in here and we look like we got fruit because we're like, hey, brother. And we got all the Christian lingo and all the like whatever it is. Like, let him do it. Let him do it. I have no idea where I am right now. <clears throat> Let's read our text again. That's always a good place to go. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that... 
my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. See, fruit sometimes is tough to quantify. But you can see fruit. Like even the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? You can see those a bit. You can feel those and sense those in your life. When I'm looking over the last few chapters of John, I think you could boil down the idea of fruit and bearing fruit to one simple word. Obedience. Like when we abide in Christ and we bear fruit, what is this fruit supposed to look like? And I think when you look through the Gospel of John over the last couple of chapters, chapter 13, right? A new commandment, obey my commands, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, right? That coming out of him washing the disciples' feet of serving them. Chapter 14, verse 15, it says, if you love me, right, are truly in me, truly my disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. That's the evidence. That's the evidence of truly loving him, of being in him, that you would keep his commands. That's the fruit. Command keeping, loving him, loving his will, loving him, loving his word. It's the evidence. It is evidenced in worshipful obedience. First John chapter 3, verse 23, it says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. I love this because it's so full. Like com- uh, command-keeping like, a lot of times, it, 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 we get it all backwards because we're like, oh, I know i got to obey the commandments so that I'm a good Christian believer. And really, no, like, the commandment keeping is all worship. It's all worshipful obedience to what He's done for us. And so, that is the evidence that we abide in Him and He abides in us. The fruit of truly abiding in Christ and abiding in his word is obedient. If there's not, we're deceiving ourselves. We're fake disciples, as we talked about earlier. Like, if we're not obeying, if we're not doers of the word, we are deceiving ourselves. We are fake disciples, branches to be thrown into the fire if we are hearers only and not worshipful doers of the word. That song we sang in worship today. Uh, Christ is my firm foundation, right? Remember the kid's song? Wise man built his house upon the rock. Wise man built. You guys can do the hand motions if you want. Um, and the rains came tumbling down, right? Remember that passage? Remember that parable that Jesus shared, Matthew chapter 7? Building on Christ. Building on him as the firm foundation, right? With that illustration last week of the dock. And the boat, right? You got one foot on the dock, that firm, solid ground. You got one foot in the boat. You got the foot in the world, foot in culture, right? And that thing's going to shift and change, and you're going to fall. Get both feet securely on the firm foundation of Jesus. But it's even deeper than that when you look at that passage. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. Commandment keeping. Hears the word and does them obeys them, 
will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and when the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Built his house upon the sand, the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against the house, it fell, and great was the fall of it. Do not fool yourself. Do not be a hearer only. Do not be a fake follower, a deceived person. Again, and, and this, like, I don't want this to sound too heavy, right? When you're talking about commandment keeping and bearing fruit and this evidence, like sometimes, like if you get it wrong, if we get it wrong, it feels heavy. But our last verse in our passage today, verse 11 says it's all about joy. It's all about joy. I, my heart breaks when I come across Christians who are not full of the joy of salvation. The joy that is found in being truly in Christ Jesus. Let's read those last couple of verses uh, as, we, as we wrap up today. I did really well, actually. Wow. Got through a lot of notes. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy may be full, right? It feels heavy. Like, it can feel heavy. Like, you just said that the vine dresser is going to cut off and burn up lifeless branches, right? Like I said, the temptation then is to fake it. To fake it. But, like, if you think about it, those who are in Christ, those branches that are in the vine and they bear fruit, how hard do branches have to work in producing fruit? Anybody? Like, like when you look at a tree, that tree doesn't look like it's like, like i got to bear fruit. Arr. No, they just bear fruit. They don't have to work on it because they've got a vine dresser that's been taking care of them. They just remain in him, understand the beauty and the fullness of him, draw from that deep life, that, that sap that comes through the vine and into the branches, and out of their life comes beautiful, beautiful fruit of obedience. Because I've seen him and I've beheld him much greater than anything this world has to offer. We just have to abide to remain, to stay, to dwell in Christ and in His Word. Have Him come in and set up residency in our hearts, set up His home in our hearts to taste and see the fullness of His goodness, to hear the voice of His Spirit, that beautiful Holy Spirit that He has promised on His people to boldly and beautifully obey. But I understand that there's a fight I understand that our flesh does not want to obey. It's like a stubborn little three-year-old. Does not want to obey. But he's promised his Holy Spirit. He's promised his Spirit to not just be with you, but to be in you. It's a beautiful thing about God. Like, there's no way we could do this. There was no way we could do any of this. But God in his mercy, like... Uh, I, one pastor, he says that he, he unzipped you and got inside of you. 
Like he climbed inside of you to empower you to actually live, to actually be the church of Jesus to the glory of his name. He's given us his word. He washes us, sanctifies, cleanses us if we abide in it. And so today we're going to respond and sing a few more songs. If you're in this place today and you know you've been disobedient, I don't want you to wallow in it. I don't want you to feel like you got to get, you know, go outside and grab a stick and like, I got to like, I got to beat myself over and over. Like, just repent. Just confess it. Lay it before Christ. Receive his mercy and grace and live boldly for him in the power of his spirit. Anybody, everybody in this room today, we could ask for more of his Holy Spirit in our lives to empower us to do this. And then I also like, I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice. If you are in Christ Jesus, rejoice. Like David, like in his fall, right, with Bathsheba, right? And he writes that beautiful psalm, created me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Just remember, he loves you, and he has done all of this for you. Rejoice and find joy in him. And then as we go from this place today, that we would joyfully go in producing fruit of obedience and so prove to be his disciples, to so prove to be the church of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray and ask you to stand and let's respond. Father, again, we thank you for your word. I thank you that everything comes from you. It's not in us. Everything comes from you, Christ, our firm foundation. God, let us be found in you. Let us fight the urge to fake it. Let us fight the urge to withhold ourselves. Let us fight the urge to try to do it in our own strength and our own power because we were never designed to do that. We were designed to abide. We were, des- we were designed to receive your spirit. So God, in this place, fill us with you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Help us to abide in you. Help us to stay put, to rest and dwell in you and your word in us and you in us. That we might have joy, the fullness of joy. Your joy might be complete in us. Help us to be your church. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, let's stand and let's sing together.